Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Hope Community Church. Whether it's your first time here or whether you join us regularly, we're so glad that you came and joined us here today. My name is Ian Buckley. I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. And our hope is that as you worship with us and as you study God's word together with us, you will grow in your faith. Just want to say that we miss seeing all of your normal, regular faces, but we're so thankful also to Zoom and to Teams and to Facebook Messenger, which helps us keep in touch. Just before we start, I'd just like to quickly pray. Father, as we come to your word today, would you give us sensitive hearts and eyes that can see the truths that you want to apply to our lives? In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Have you ever visited an unfamiliar city? And as you were exploring it, you found yourself a little unsure about the way to move ahead because it was unfamiliar territory. Well, today I want to look at a story from the Bible, an account. Joshua chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, now would be a great time to grab those and also your message notes. Joshua chapter 3. It contains an account of God's people who were facing their own uncharted territory. This story records a vital number of waypoints that they went through and we can learn from to help us get ready for what lays ahead of us in the uncharted territory in level 2, 1 and beyond. Let's pick this up. Joshua and the people were about to enter the land that God had promised their forefather Abraham. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7 through 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountain springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. So this land that's been described here by Moses had been promised to God's people. It was actually called the promised land. And as you can see there in that scripture, there was abundance of water, very different to the desert they've been in, an abundance of agricultural products and fruits and grains and even minerals. It was a land of surely plenty. In other words, that verse conveys the thought that the people would lack nothing. But Moses also gave the people of Israel a warning of the danger inherent in abundant prosperity along with the blessing. Whereas in the wilderness, they had to depend upon God for the necessities of life. Their newfound prosperity may conceal their need for that same dependence that they'd been used to. Therefore, Moses prescribed a sure antidote for that danger of plenty. And it was simply this. Praise the Lord your God. In fact, a failure to praise God for his blessings was a first step towards forgetting God and then disobeying his commands. It's a good reminder for you and I to praise God regularly and meaningfully by ourselves. Praising him is the first step to obeying him because he's the front of our minds. Now, in times of plenty, I've noticed we often tend to take credit for the prosperity that can come and be proud that our own hard work and our own cleverness have made us comparatively rich. And it's very easy to get busy 
collecting and managing wealth that we push God to the very edges of our lives. Now, in reality, it's God who gives us everything that we have. And all he asks us to do is to manage it well for his purposes. Because we manage it for our creator. So, as the people come up to the walls of promised land, they've been looking forward to this for years. The day that they would possess their land, their inheritance. See, 40 years earlier, Israel had been exactly on the border of the promised land. And it had sent out 12 spies. But the problem was, they saw all, yeah, they saw the good, but they also saw the negative. Out of the 12 spies, 10 of them were completely overwhelmed by the challenges that they saw ahead. And because they brought that negative report back, those negative Nellies and Neils among those God's people, they spread a what the Bible calls as a bad and a negative report. And they discouraged God's people because they were unnecessarily pessimistic. And they maintained that the task ahead of them, that God had purpose for them, was too challenging. It was too hard. The odds were too long. They were unfavorable. Actually, they were so negative that the people turned around and threatened to stone the two positive spies. They talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb, and you can read about that. Only Joshua and Caleb had the courage and the fortitude and the faith to stand up before all these negative people and say, basically, with God's help, we will prevail. You can read about this failing to trust in May here in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. It says this, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they'd been spied out, that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people that we saw in it are of great height. See, that generation's unbelief now had reached God's limit of patience. Twelve times previous, the children of Israel had failed to trust God and move ahead and to put into action what they knew, to trust God and to obey him, even though they had his laws that were actually hand-delivered. They had his physical presence with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had witnessed provisions of miracles coming out of Egypt galore. Notice this, Numbers 14, 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs that I have performed among them? So God was ticked off with the people because of their obstinate unbelief and an unwillingness to step out and follow God's lead, always playing it what they call safe. In fact, they actually wanted to go back to Egypt at one stage. In Joshua 5.6, we read this. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because, notice why, they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So here we are, friends. After 40 years of wandering, the people of Israel are now standing on the edge of a new season in their lives. Behind them was the wilderness 
the desert. It was the, behind them was the graves of their disobedient parents who had not believed God. But on the other hand, before them was their land of promise. It was indeed a land of plenty flowing of milk and honey. But before they got them, between what was behind and what was ahead, between the Israelites and their God-ordained future stood one thing, and that was the River Jordan. Most of the time, the River Jordan is only about 30 metres across, but during the spring, which is about March, just a few months back, it was flooded, and it typically grew, we can tell from archaeology, around about 1.6 k's wide. And you can imagine this. This is a foreboding sight to the priests and an incredible test of faith, real test of faith for the people. Would again, they hesitate in fear and unbelief, or would they advance in faith, believing what God had promised to them? Now, if it had been up to you and me, if there's one time we could have chosen that we would not want to cross the Jordan, it would be absolutely then, because it was a maximum flood. But God in his wisdom had determined this was the time to cross over. As I read the Holy Scriptures, I see a recurring pattern. Where God often puts you and I and them in situations where it seems to be visually evident that we are powerless to succeed without God. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that's why in the Old Testament he removed 30,000 soldiers from Gideon's army before they went to battle. I don't know about you and me, but we could have probably used those 30,000 soldiers. But God didn't want people to put their dependence in human flesh. You'll also read in the Bible where the furnace was heated to seven times hotter for the three Hebrew children. Things seem ridiculously hard. And then what about Elijah? We spoke about that last week where they poured buckets of water on Elijah's sacrifice before it was consumed by God's fire. Maybe in the New Testament we can see that too, where Jesus decided not to show up for Lazarus until he'd been dead for how many days? Four days, or being buried. So you see, without God's intervention, there was no way that these people could ever cross into the Jordan when there was a flood going on. But the Bible says the people were actually commanded to cross over. Now this phrase, cross over, is a Hebrew phrase which doesn't mean just to go from point A to point B. It actually means to go what from what is, now watch this, from what is known to what is unknown. It contains that thought. Now the Bible tells us that the Israelites were brought to the banks of the River Jordan. And God left them there for three days before he led them to cross. Now some scholars think that this is because it was, on, it was a purpose of God, so that the people would have three days of visual reminders before they're about to experience a miracle of God. Now let's face it, for you and me, many things have already happened for us in this year. It's a surreal year that none of us anticipated. No way. And the next few months we're going to go into some more unknown territory ourselves. Things that you and I can't control and we can't possibly anticipate. We have no control over them. So, 
My question on what I'm observing from the pattern in the children of Israel is, how do we get through the Jordan rivers of our lives when things seem physically impossible? How do we move forward in uncertain times? So again, on your outline, there are at least three things that God did to help his people get ready for this new season of their lives. And those same truths that worked for the children of Israel apply to us today. So when we face the unknown, the first thing we need to do, like the children of Israel, like Moses, and like Joshua had guided these people, was to look back and reflect on the provision of God behind us. To reflect on the provision of God behind us. It's a great place to start when you and I are facing uncharted territories, is to reflect on what God has already done in your life in the past. And Moses did just that. Notice this verse. Deuteronomy 8.2 And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, remember here, means to bring to the very front of your mind things that God had done for his people. That's what he was trying to say. Bring to the front of your mind all those things that have happened back for the last 40 years that you've been wondering. You see, because God had miraculously cared for them. 40 years in the desert. One miracle after another. One day after another. Even before getting into the desert, crossing the Red Sea, and escaping the pursuing enemies. Unbelievably good miracle. Supernaturally, every day, seeing a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, it led them. God's presence led them. And then you have the daily provision of food and water. Can you imagine that in a desert? And what about your clothing? You can't bring a whole bunch of stuff with you. And that food, by the way, was brought to them by Beats, Beats Amazon. There was literally global food deliveries. Deuteronomy 29.5, it says this, God speaking, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. So figure that. God even gave them clothing and shoes that lasted 40 years. So, hey, where do I buy that today? Especially if you've got kids. Man, my kids used to go through clothes like no tomorrow. Probably like yours. Now notice though the benevolence, the, the goodness of God. Even though they still were reaping the judgment for their unbelief because of their wandering, God in his mercy still cared for their needs. There was no grocery store out there. You're in the boonies. There was no mall in the desert you could go pick up some groceries. So the point is if God had not miraculously provided them, they would have perished in the wilderness. Now, why is it important to remember the provision of God in our lives? Well, the people of Israel were now waiting to take their next step into the unknown. And naturally, as I looked at that river and heard that sound, and looked at all these people and those kids, their hearts were somewhat filled with fear. Just like many right now are trying to figure out, oh man, when we get through this, what's it going to look like? But behind them, was a clear provision of God's goodness, and it provided a great sense of assurance for the future. And remembering God's goodness is always an encouragement. In fact, I would encourage you this week to do a bit of homework 
and perhaps choose, I don't know, seven things to write down that God has provided for you just this last year. It'll be a great encouragement to review God's goodness and to remember it and to bring it back to the front of our mind about God's provision. And then thank him for it. So the first application of God's word to our lives when we face uncharted territory is to reflect on the provision of God behind us. The second thought is to remember the presence of God beside us. Remember the presence of God beside us, just like the children of Israel did. In our times of transition, we need to remember that. The next verse in your outline, Joshua 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So the focus of Joshua chapter 3 and 4, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, is the Ark of the Covenant. That is central to those two chapters. Actually, if you count them up, there's 22 mentions of the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a box about 45 inches long, about 27 odd inches deep, but it's coated in gold, as you can see here. Inside that box, though, were typically three things. Number one were the stone tablets of the law God gave Moses. Number two was a gold jar of manna. And number three was Aaron's rod that budded. So the ark was always associated with the presence and the direction of God. When the ark was removed from the people of God, they experienced defeat. But when it was brought back, they experienced victory. Joshua 3.10 And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Perizzites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now this Ark of the Covenant was a constant reminder to the Israelites that the living God of all the earth was with them, and that he would go with them wherever they went. Now, as the people were about to cross over this ford, this, in, this river in flood, they were given very specific instructions about the distance they should keep between themselves and the Ark of the Covenant and the priests. Joshua 3, 4. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So here's the picture. We've got the people over here about a kilometre back, and we've got the ark and the, and the priests moving that way. So the, the reason for the distance is that the ark was to stay far enough out in front of the people as they headed towards the, the river that they could see it and it would remind them. 
It would remind them of a God who led his people into this new territory. They could see it. There was no sense and no room for a casual, careless intimacy with God. But there was needed to be a profound sense of respect and reverence. So that was saying that God was not to be considered casually like the man upstairs, but instead the sovereign, holy God of all the earth. So God was about to lead them over unfamiliar ground, over a way that they had not taken before. God is also teaching them that as leaders are important, but each of us needs to keep our eyes individually on God. It was not enough just to see God through the eyes of others. We need to see God through our own eyes, especially when we're facing uncharted territory. So when God leads us into the unknown, we really need to keep him in our sights. When God leads us into the unknown, we better keep him in our sight. If you don't, the raging rivers of life will fill your heart with fear and despair and befuzzlement. Remember Peter for a moment. He was walking on some pretty rough water. Then he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And that's what can happen to you and I in our circumstances too if we take our eyes off God. Three more verses about God's presence with us in our times of transition. The first one is Joshua 3.6. The Bible says this, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Here's another one. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed over completely over the Jordan. Last verse. Joshua 4.11 says this. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. Now notice. As the Israelites were preparing to cross the Jordan, the priests with the ark representing God's presence were to, one, go ahead. But they weren't to go ahead all the way to the other side. They were to go into the river, stand in the middle of the riverbed until all the people had passed by. Then the ark of the covenant came behind them onto the banks of Canaan, the promised land. So God through his ark was one, going before them. Then he was staying with them in the midst of their journey through that river. And then he was following behind them when the journey was over. And that's exactly how God works. Same thing today. What a great picture of God's presence in your life and in my life during the times of transition. I think Isaiah may have had this in mind here. Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 5. But now... Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, 
and I have loved you. Fear not, for I am with you. God is encouraging the people of God in difficult times, pictured as the floods and the fires, as we've seen in Isaiah. And likewise, like Israel, we should not give up in fear in uncertain and difficult times because God's presence is with us. God wants us to reflect on the provision of God behind us and remember the presence of God beside us. Number three, now let's look at the promise of God before us. Joshua chapter 3, on your outline, verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Can you imagine that picture? Already twice in history, in recent history, that River Jordan has stopped because in, in these cases, a record in history, the banks caved in and made a, a natural barrier. The first time was January, excuse me, December 7th, 1267, and that stopped for 10 hours. Also in July the 11th, 1927, there was 21 hours when the Jordan River was completely blocked by a natural barrier. Now, God may have used that means, but the fact is the water stopped, and by the way, stopped bang on time. They stopped 17 miles north of that stream, and all that water had to run down first and subside before it was dry. So the timing was absolutely miraculous. So the Bible says the Israelites walk through the Jordan now on that dry land. And the crossing of the Jordan River mirrors what happened to the Israelites on their way into the wilderness. And they came back through the Red Sea from Egypt. The crossing of the Jordan River mirrors what happened to the Israelites on their way into the wilderness as they came through the Red Sea from Egypt. God was sending a message to them to make these two experiences very familiar. What he was saying is this, is that the God who had begun this journey with them 40 years ago had not changed. There's no change with God. And he was still delivering his people. His purposes were being fulfilled. So how does that apply to our lives today? Well, first, just as what happened then, there needs to be happening today. And that is, today, there needs to be a time of consecration before we move into this next phase. That's Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says this, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, what does that word consecrate mean? It means to set apart, like the seventh day, or the firstborn son, uniquely set apart for God. So when Joshua told the people to concentrate themselves, he was commanding them to prepare their hearts, to be ready spiritually. Notice he didn't say, hey, go grab some swords and practice some sword fighting. He said, consecrate yourselves. He was telling them to confess their sins and to put away their foreign gods and to get out of the bad habits that they'd cultivated in the wilderness before they move into this new land. And then he was imploring them to purify their hearts. Now, as we've been experiencing in this Thomas Shelter at Home in Level 3, what better thing can we do before we move into more uncharted territory 
and to take some time to examine our own lives and to make sure that everything is right between us and God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get quiet with God, if I listen carefully, I can hear God's Spirit nudging me as I examine my heart in the light of His Word. So before, let's just wind the clock a bit back. Before they went into that river, for those three days, Joshua 3.9 records a particular verse that says, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. So he gave them a Bible study before they went in. They took on God's word. I have no doubt that some of those younger men were itchy to get busy and to get ready for battle. But Joshua made them stop and he made them listen up and consider what God's commands that he just expounded to them actually meant. I want to choose one of them which would have been very familiar to Joshua because Moses taught it in Deuteronomy 8.1 when he tells us to obey God's commandments. Now we obey God with our heart by loving him more than any relationship, more than any activity or achievement or possession. That's what obeying God and loving him with all of our heart means. How about with our will? That means by committing ourselves completely to him. It's a volitional choice. When we obey God and we love God with our mind, we do that by seeking to know him and to be seeking to know his word. So his principles and values form our worldview, the foundation of all that we think and what we do. Here's another one that would involve loving God with all of our body. Our body is to be like a living sacrifice. And that's that practically works out like knowing and recognizing that our strengths, our talents, our sexuality are given to us by God to be used for His pleasure and His fulfillment according to His rules and not our rules. We can obey God in our finances. How do we do that? Well, this is by deciding that all of our resources we have ultimately come from God and that we are to be His managers of them and we are not the owners. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Also, we honor God and we obey God and love God with our lives and our future by deciding to make service to God and man the main purpose of our life's journey. So before we rush off and go back to Groundhog Day, where we're rushing just to keep up, why not take this time to examine our lives to see if we're heading in the right direction. Because it's really easy to get so caught up with our never-ending task list. It's really easy to be too busy for what God says is the most important thing. And what's that? Listening to his word and obeying his word. So consecrating yourself is when we're going through this new territory ahead now, is not just going to go back to the normal patterns of behavior. Why don't we use this God-given pause, worldwide pause, to start over and to reset the habits of our lives and the rhythms to make us more closely aligned to God's eternal purposes for your life, which never change. So why not take this time that God has given us to examine our lives and start over? Secondly, the road ahead will need and take great courage. 
it'll be a time that we're going to need courage. See, likewise, before God piled up the waters that were coming down the stream here to the Jordan, he gave the Israelites these instructions in Joshua 3.13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand up as a heap. Notice, the priests were to rest the soles of their feet in the water of the Jordan before God would part it. God wasn't going to do what he promised until the people obeyed him. Now, their obedience probably didn't make a great deal of sense to them at that time. But the Bible says that they walked down to the river, and when the priests put their feet in the flood of the Jordan, at that moment, they exercised their faith, God performed a miracle. And you know, friends, many people are stuck in their faith journey. And you know why that is? It's because they're waiting for God to make the first move. And really what that is, is a lack of faith. It's an excuse for a lack of faith. See, faith is taking the first step in their case, to obey God before God parted the river. Someone was once asked what they did with the promises of God they read in the Bible. And they said, well, that's easy. I underline them, see, in blue. Friend, if you're going to live a life that honors God with courageous faith, you have to do more than underline his promises. You have to believe them. You have to believe those promises and you have to act upon them. You have to have the courage to obey them consistently. See, God's promises are not for underlining. God's promises are for obeying. And when we obey God's promises, then God works wonders in our lives and you fulfill his purpose for your life and not your own purpose. So as we move through this epidemic, we're entering a new territory, a new uncertain territory, at least for the next six months. Some people, on the one hand, are hugely negative. Oh, well, the world's never going to be the same again. And their pessimism about this pandemic is almost worse than COVID-19 itself. But friends, can I assure you of this? This is not the end. Now, it could be, certainly could be, the beginning of some birth pangs which the scriptures talk about in the end times. I don't know. I don't know where this will end, but I do know that I can choose personally to concentrate myself and to remember what God has done in the past, and therefore I gain courage for what he's going to do in the future. So, whatever happens, I know I'm going to be trusting in God, who has been my shelter in many of the storms that have come into my life in the past. I'm going to reflect on the provision of God behind me, I'm going to remember the presence of God beside me, and I'm going to be resting in God's promises before me. That's me. Now, how about you? Will you remember God's provision, his promise, and his presence? Will you take some time today and this week to consecrate the rest of your life to his eternal purposes? And to accept, what that means is accepting his priorities and his truths and denying myself. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, any woman comes after me, they must deny themselves. You cannot get a Christianity that says, I want to follow you, but I want to do what I want to do. 
There's a denying of ourselves. Will you courageously obey and follow him? And take some time today to take this opportunity and bow your head and concentrate your life to him before this next stage of the journey in life. Will you live by the principles of God's word today with gratitude and a joyful heart? That's my challenge as we look at God's word. May our wonderful and awesome God bless you and keep you as we serve his purposes together. Amen.